We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernane. Today we are joined by Brian McDermott, former professional player and coach. He's managed Leeds United. He was Premier League Manager of the Month during his time at Reading, where he also spent 15 years total in a number of different roles. But at the highest level, it wasn't what it seemed, apparently. Brian has recently come out and talked about his battles with anxiety, depression and alcohol and has shared some powerful posts about that on LinkedIn that I picked up. I thought coaches would benefit from getting him on here, sharing his experiences and insight and it is a really, really powerful perspective that I think you're going to love. As always, let me know what you think at Modern Soccer Coach on Instagram, at Modern Soccer Coach on Twitter. A huge thanks to our friends at Keyframe for their support on these podcasts. Video is a great coaching tool, but Telestration is proven to take that video to the next level. Telestration improves understanding, aids retention, saves time, but it's normally very expensive and hard to produce. Keyframe solves these problems. Simple to use, fast to learn, works with any video provider and is affordable. Please check them out on the link below. Here is Brian. Enjoy. Brian, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Really, really excited to chat to you and appreciate you coming on. Gary, pleasure. No problem at all. Look forward to it. First off, I really, really appreciate you sharing your story on behalf of so many coaches. The posts were powerful. Um, yeah. Got my attention and, and something that I think a lot of coaches feel but don't really want to talk about or don't really want to share, see it as a sign of weakness. So that's what I want to go into today. Right. Uh, my first question is is a quote from the, the first post. At 16, I was scouted by Arsenal and offered a contract. Every day was tough. The culture in the 70s was difficult to say the least. I did not feel like I belonged. Felt a complete imposter. One thing I was not going to do was let anybody know how I felt. I fell out of love with football from the age of 16 and like that that kind of hit me in the face that one and I, and I wanted to ask you what was it was it the pressure that made you fall out of love was it the game becoming more structured was it the peer pressure or what exactly was it that brought that a bit of everything really dressing room was difficult um I was born Irish parents in Slough and I was traveling to Training every day it was cost taking me about two and a half hours. I was getting up about half past five, quarter to six, and we had to do all our duties at the time as an apprentice. Um, and it was just no fun, and it was hard. It was hard work, um, and actually trying to condition myself from being like at school and then training every day was hard. It was difficult. Um, I'm trying to find my way. Um, environment. I was so shy, Barry, as well. That was the thing. I was incredibly shy. So I, I had to battle myself every day to get myself into training and uh, be in a room full of people that I thought were um, completely like my. I, I, look, I looked around me, I thought, oh, he's confident. He's, he knows what he's doing. He's, he's, he, 
he can talk, he can look after himself, he can do this, he can do that. So I'm making comparisons about how other people looked in power to me. And you know, I look back now and, and I've had conversations with some of them same people and they were struggling as well, some of them. And it, so it's quite interesting. But at 16 years of age, you know nothing. And uh, it's just a struggle. And it was a struggle. Now, when I say I fell out of love with football, I, I actually love football. You know, even to this day, I've got this passion for football. But as a player, I did fall out of love with it. And when you're in the profession, sometimes it's like, it's really difficult. You know, you don't always play. Um, you're getting a lot of stick at the time from your coaches. Um, you get a bit of stick from people that are around you that want your place. So all of these things that resonate, you know, and you, it's it's never, it's not an easy path. It's not an easy path. I mean, and and, and what kids see is just all the joys and all the, the 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 stuff that comes with being a professional footballer it's a lot of graft you know and, and it's and it's a job and it is a job and it is definitely a job and it was a job really yeah they've changed our environments have obviously changed you know like a lot of the those duties are all being being scrapped and now there's pathways are different and better environments but but one thing i always pick up Ryan, is that younger players are still Kind of falling out of love once that game becomes a job, even here in the US, scholarships and like you've you've a deep experience of professional football at the highest level. Is there a balance that you can get that right where you can teach habits, commitment, and you can also, I don't know, make it fun or keep that love aspect of it? I don't know. I think I think it's really important to try and get the kids to talk. And to find out how they do it. I mean, listen, from six, from the age of six to 35, no one said to me, how are you doing? How's it going? You know, I know you've just broken away from school now and you're doing this. How's it going? Never had that. Um, whether coaches have those one-to-one -one conversations, I never had a one-to-one -one conversation. It might be different now. I hope it is different now. Um, so that's something that can be improved. I think most footballers are pretty resilient. I mean, I thought I was pretty resilient. But like I, I talk about this a lot, having resilience with no mental well-being is not great. You need to find a balance. Um, and trying to have a, a way of living your life, no one gives you a manual. You know, when you're a young boy, no one tells you this is what you've got to do and this is what you haven't got to do. And no one says to you the most important thing is to stay in the moment, enjoy what you're doing in this moment of time, because what's gone is gone and what's to come is to come. So, you know, trying to stay in the moment. But like those conversations weren't had because maybe in those days, maybe no one knew, but maybe I don't know what it's like nowadays. Is it different nowadays? I'm not sure. I mean, I look at that Crystal Palace documentary that's done recently about the young kids and they're trying to make their way in football. And I think, well, that looks really, really tough for your arms. Coaching was different. And then you mentioned coaches being hard on you. And, and that was, again, sounded like, I grew up in the 80s and it was teaching, coaching. People were tough on, on young kids. Was there a coach that changed or impacted you at a, at a level that was different and maybe inspired you to go in that direction throughout your experience? Terry Cooper, when I went to, but that was when I was 27, 28. Frank Burroughs, when I was 26, I went to Cardiff and he taught me how to win. He, 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 he taught me the fundamentals of winning football, what I needed to do. But it was a job. This is your job. When you're away from home, we're playing in the lower leagues. You make sure you tuck in and you do this and you do this. I didn't really have that before, you know. So this was being part of a team and what it looked like. 
And sometimes when you're away from home up Cambridge on a Tuesday night, it's a job. It's a gr it's a grind. You know, sometimes when you're away from home wherever, or it's not easy. Uh, and you just find a way to get a result. Um, Terry Cooper was different. He wasn't as structured as Frank. Terry used to say to me, go out and play and do your stuff. You know you can beat this wing, this fullback. And and it, it was I really started to thrive at 29 because he gave me that confidence to go out and play. And that's all I really needed. Um, and that bit of reassurance. Um, so I think Terry would have been the, the coach for me um, that that made it a big difference for me and, and actually kind of enjoyed in my enjoying my like last few years in football really. Another quote that that I really again impacted me was was that later on you talked about in, in the second post in my management days I always had to have a drink after every game after a game which we had lost it then became after a loss a draw or a win for me I woke up feeling anxious with that horrible sense of fear. The next morning, win, lose, or draw, it was always the same. That anxiety aspect of it, uh, like, really resonated with me. As a, I'm not a head coach today, but I've been a head coach, and and you wake up, and it's almost today with phones and stuff like that. You're almost you've got a device, an anxiety device, sitting at your bedside table. How did you get through that with energy levels? Because there's a physical toil that I would expect from, from heavy drinking and going in. Did you work out in the morning or, or did you take that into work and just get through it? Yeah, in a nutshell. I, I managed. I managed. Um, I thought it was normal. You know, I could manage, I could, I could manage at a, a decent level, high level myself. I kind of took myself out of the equation a little bit and um, uh, and did it, whatever I had to do on that given day to do what I had to do to try to win the next game, whatever that looked like. And I managed to do that for years, really. Um, but I never got a lot of... I didn't get joy out of winning. I got relief. It was just relief. The referee blew up. We won 1-0. Whether that was at Slough in the Nation, in the National League, Woking... Leeds United or Reading, just relief. The referee blew up, and for 10 seconds, 20 seconds, oh, thank God, we've won. I can relax for 20 seconds. Oh, we've got Derby on Tuesday night. Oh, we've got Nottingham Forest on Tuesday night. You have to try and win that game. So you move straight away from that to that, and you can't have – what joy is that? You know you've got to travel again, and you know you've got to do whatever you've got to do again to try and get another result. So if you actually analyse that, you know it's coming again. You know, and I hear sort of players talk about Liverpool players in the 80s picking up their medals or someone just throwing the medals on the table. They're picking them up and say, that's gone. Now you've got to win the next, the following season. And you think, where's the joy in that? There isn't any joy in that, surely. So I suppose what I've learned over the years now and just to have some joy in my life and just to say, okay, I'm in a good place today. That's good. If I'm in a good place, I'm calm. I've got a bit of peace. I've got mental well-being. That's good. That's a really good place for me. And I still, I'm still ambitious. I still want to do things, and I do my presentations. You know, I, I do some mentoring. I put some couple of young players into different teams. I still want to do that, and I work really hard at what I do. So, but it's just from a better place now for me. You know, coaching is. And I don't think people understand such an energy business that 
you know, you the the talk and the media, the sessions, the preparation. I mean, when you were when you weren't getting joy, was there energy depletion? Did you let someone else take training or did you not have as many meetings? Or was there anywhere that you kind of said, right, I'm going to do less of that and try to save energy for the pitch? I know I was good at that. I mean, I, I, I had Nigel Gibbs with me most of the time and Nigel was a fantastic coach and trainer. And Nigel would really enjoyed putting the sessions on and he was great at it. So he did most of the training during the week up to about Thursday or Friday when I used to put the pattern of play on and what how we were going to play. And I'd work out the opposition and how we were going to play and do things. You know, I had fantastic fitness guys as well. Physios were very good. So I was blessed that I had people around me that could do the jobs and they were really good at their jobs. So I didn't micromanage. One thing about me is that I'm not a micromanager. Um, I just made sure... That I did the best I could to have enough energy to deal with what I had to deal with in the dressing room, the opposition, and to, to create what I needed to do in, in the dressing room. So, yeah, um, but listen, as a manager, you've been there, you know, after 90 minutes, you're exhausted. I remember, I remember one game in my early days, we played against Millwall at their ground when I was at Reading. We drew nil-nil, and it was one of them really difficult games. And I sat down afterwards and I said to Nigel, I'm not sure I can do this. I'm actually exhausted. I, I was like physically exhausted, more exhausted than I've ever been as a as a as a player. And it is physically and mentally exhausting. Yeah, you see managers today and, and, and obviously like in today's football, the the interview, even the pregame, even Friday is now an event and Sky Sports being what it is, around the world what it is. You see people coming in and, and you can see the anxiety and strain in their faces. When you were a manager, did you? how did you manage the media? Did you not read papers? Did that side of it, did you enjoy even talking to the cameras on a Friday? Or like, how did you manage that side? Um, with the Premier League, it's, resent it's relentless. You've got a camera following you all the time. You know, the press conferences last forever. Uh, it's easier when you win it. Um, you know, you see managers that are losing and you think, well, the press conference is really difficult when you've just lost. So difficult. Because whatever you say after you've lost, no one cares. You're going to get sticked full stop. You know, and you can say whatever you like when you've won. And you might win the game 1-0 and you might be really lucky and played really rubbish. And you win 1-0 and actually you don't care. Because actually you've won 1-0. And that's the key, you know. It's about that. But it should be more than that. Um you know, and, and I look at some of the managers now, and, and I I remember when I got promoted. When when we got promoted to the to the Premier League, I had this kind of out of body experience. It was like, oh, I'm something special now. So my ego was like, oh, wow, look at me. I'm just I'm a Premier League manager, you know. And you know, I go to a pub and look at people and think, what if he knows who I am? And I'll be staring at him. And then he'd take a picture of me. And if they didn't take a picture of me, I'd give him a camera. And it's like, oh, here we go. You know, it's like really sort of odd, out-of-body experience. Because when, you're, when you've done well as a manager, you treat it incredibly. People treat you differently, definitely treat you differently. And for me, I was always Brian the footballer. So I used to try and, you know, validate myself by, if I spoke to someone who didn't know me, I used to introduce myself as... Oh, I'm a manager, a football manager. Because I thought, oh, well, if I say that, then they'll be more interested in what I've got to say. Which is weird. Now I just say, I'm, uh, listen, my name's Brian. It's fine. It, it, 
but I've learned that, you know. But it is very strange, very, very strange. And that's kind of how I was feeling at the time. You mentioned that there about about treating you different when you win, but but then the, the ver the, and I've seen it the other way as well, and it, like people avoiding you and, and avoiding eye contact when you lose games. Um when you go from promotion and you're winning whatever percent, you go into a Premier League where you're up against it every single week and the, and the winning rate drops. How difficult is that psychologically where you put your image as a winner and it's been ingrained for the last 12 months? and then But you're also then a, almost a billboard for resilience in front of 25 other people behind you. Is that is that a difficult? Is that the... Well, there's so many examples. There's so many examples. The championship, premiership is so different, you know. Um, there's a massive difference. I mean, look at this example. So so when we won promotion, the year we won promotion, we were second bottom after six games. We got four points or something. And then we went on a run and we won the league and we got the championship. It's amazing what the guys did. Absolutely amazing. And then you look at someone like Steve Cooper. Amazing manager. So Steve Cooper last year, what he did was a miracle. Got Forrest up. Now they can't win a game, and then everyone's talking about Steve going and this, that, and the other. And you think, well, blimey, he's an incredible manager, incredible young manager. Uh, but what what's the answer? You know, to me, the answer is to say, I'm backing this man. He's an incredible manager. If we go down to the league below, he's the man to bring us up next year. That's what the answer is. And what because he's proven that he's a top top class young manager. He's proven it at the clubs he's been he's been with with the national team, with England and the national team. So that's the answer. But which owner is the owner going to do that? I don't know. And if an owner brings another guy into the forest, is that going to make the difference? So, you know, there's so many changes now. Things are so different now, you know, than than what they were. Um, But I do know when we were at Reading from 2000 to 2013, we had four managers, most successful time in Reading's history. Alan Pardew, Steve Koppel, Brendan Rodgers and myself. 13 years with four managers. After that, Reading have had about half a dozen in six years, five years. And that tells you now they've got, now they've got a bit of stability. You've got Paul Ince in there. They're doing a great job. They've hired. They've recruited top, top class human beings. All of a sudden, look where they are. It's great to see. Hello, coaches. We'll take a quick break here. Huge thanks again to our friends at Keyframe for all their support on these podcasts and also on the videos that we've been doing on YouTube. Video is a great coaching tool, as we all know, but telestration and animations and software that can improve those videos is proven to take learning to the next level. Telestration is normally very expensive and hard to produce, but Keyframe solves these problems. It's simple to use, fast to learn, and works with any video provider and is affordable. Please check them out on the link below. And before you shoot off today, if you haven't already, you can take a look at some of their work on our YouTube page. And please also subscribe to our YouTube page. Lots of new coaching content and tactical breakdowns that we use with animations and video software. All right, back to Brian. How do you get top class human beings? You you worked. Uh, this isn't even on my list of questions, but when you're there, you work as a scout, and obviously recruitment being the business that it is today, everyone's getting data on stuff. It's very very hard to get data on characters and personalities. Uh, how do you get those really top end people through the door or identify them? Well, it's really interesting you talk about that. So, 
a scout goes to watch the player, looks at him and says, yeah, I really like him. Then you've got your analysts looking at how far they can run and how far they can't run and what they look like and this, that and the other. What do they do about the mental side? What do you do? So I'll tell you what happens. I ring you. You're a manager of that bloke who used to play in that team. And I say, what's he like? And you say, no, don't sign him. He's a nightmare. Or you say, I really like him. He's a great lad. But you might have your own opinions on one way or the other. So really, that's not great, to be honest. Um, but there's a system coming out soon where, or it's out already, where you can put input certain data where you can see the mental side of the player. Um on what it looks like from all the social media that the player's done, from all the radio interviews he's done, from all the television interviews he's done, from everything that goes in the paper about what he's done. And they come up with a number and it looks about, is he coachable? Yes, he's coachable. Yeah, what's his attitude like? What's his training record like? What's his injury record like? It's really, really good. And that's kind of something that is, for me, I looked at it recently, I thought it's going to be very, very interesting when that takes off. Um, and that's just another... Two percent, three percent that you need when you sign. You're just trying to take the risk away from signing players. Because for me, I look at the person first before the player. Ah, on that topic, then when you were chief scout at Arsenal, and, and obviously Wenger is one of the has the reputation of one of the greatest youth development in terms of bringing youth young players into the first team and where they've gone in their careers. When you were working with him. How do you, when you're looking in Africa, France, wherever it is, and you there's a language barrier or family, or how do you get to the player? You know, how do you understand or get to know that player when you're identifying? Well, I, I, I was never chief scout at Arsenal. So what I was, I was um, senior international scout. So what I did, my job was to, all the players would feed into my boss at the time, who was Franny Cadio. And he would then ask me to watch a player that someone had seen in Germany or in France or whatever. And we did the best we could to find out about his character by doing what we said, ring up coaches and stuff. You look at the player, you look at all, this, all the, the documentation regarding signing him. And then I would say to Franny Caccio, listen, we need, you need to get out and watch this player because we should sign him. So that's kind of how it works. It's a better example for me was when I was head scout at Reading in 2000 to 2009, I worked with Stephen, Steve Koppel, Alan Pardew, Steve Koppel. And we were signing players and um, we, 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 we brought some amazing players to Reading. You know, Kevin Doyle, Shane Long, uh, Dave Kitson, Nicky Shorey. We, we spent no money. Uh, Jimmy Kebe, hardly any money whatsoever. And we sold them for big money. And we, we were, Steve was always about character, always about good person, good people. And we kind of got it right most of the time. And that's why I talk about people first. Um, you know, if you've got someone who's talented but not particularly great character and you've got someone who's got a bit of talent but not as much as that guy, but he's a great guy, I'd take the one underneath the talented guy. It's tough uh, whenever, you know, when we're looking at documentaries over here in the Sunderland one and obviously there's a debacle on uh, deadline day and, and the pressure of getting that talent in whenever you're trying to win a match, that's got to be really, really hard. Do you, do you find clubs or, or did you ever experience it yourself where you take a risk on the character or was it just a non-negotiable for you? You had to know yeah. that. Well, there's no non I don't believe in non-negotiables. Everything's negotiable. Mm. But sometimes you, I've, I've done it myself where I've taken a little risk and it hasn't come off. Generally, generally what I have experienced in my my time is if you ain't if you if you don't if there's something not right, reverse out of it. Don't do it. 
The fans want the player to sign. Everyone wants him to sign. So you're under pressure to get the deal done. Don't do it. Because in two or three games' time, if it doesn't work out, the fans are pointing the finger at you. So you're better off to go with what you've got and what you know until you get someone that is absolutely, yes, that's the man. And that's been my experience of spending too much money on a player that we think could happen, but we have reservations. I believe that you should sometimes leave. I think with a scout, and I know with my job as a scout, one of the key things, and you get no credit for it, is keeping the, play, the, the players that you shouldn't be signed for your club away from the club. That's a really important thing. Uh, whenever you're looking today and you see these departments now, you've got analysis, data, uh, scouting, recruitment, probably changed since, uh, or has it changed since when you were working with Steve Koppel? Was it was it a smaller group? Was it easier to manage? Was there a direct link to him? Or, or how was that? Direct link? I just went and spoke to him. Um, so yeah we had Nick, Nick Hammond was director of football we had myself we had a few scouts that went out part-time in England and that was it and um, I, I, I would watch the players I'd tell Nick that I'd seen a player he might go and watch the player as well I then went to uh, our analysis person Lucy Rushton told her to put a video together I was absolutely sure of the player and he never went to Steve unless I was sure I didn't go, oh, you, maybe you need to see. I would go to Steve and say, Steve, you need to sign this player. Steve, this is the man you want. And I was so, so sure. But I'd done a lot of work in the previous time. And uh, that's how we did it. And that kind of worked. Yeah, brilliant. But that's just, that, that's just trust. That's trust. That's just trust and having just sitting down, having a football conversation. The problem is now, I think, people just text each other. There's no chat like this. There's no conversations. We can sit, we can sit here for two hours and talk about this, talk about football. No problem. But that doesn't happen. Get around the table and start talking. It's so important. Yeah, we've, we've almost moved now where we're – I see that there. With, with like you, you understand you wouldn't take a player to Steve because you were so confident that you knew. But that comes from work, chatting to Steve yeah. and, and understanding the, the person, right? Yeah, hundred percent. I knew, I knew what he wanted. I knew what kind of character. I knew he wanted pace and power. Um, I knew what where he what he was looking for to fit into his team. I knew that he he wanted a player that wouldn't upset the group, uh, that would come in seamlessly. If someone was injured, he would he would slot in. If he didn't play, he wouldn't be a problem. You have to think about all these things. And sometimes having too many players can be a bigger problem because you've got five or six players that are walking around the place that. Um, uh, it's not conducive to a, a good environment. Fascinating, fascinating. That, that Reading team back then, was Steve Sidwell in that team? Oh, listen, that team was the best team in championship history. I mean, anyone who says differently, stats will not back that up. Stats will back me up in the fact that they had 106 points and they lost two games. That is the best team in championship wow. history by a country mile. Fantastic football team. Everyone was in the right place. The lads who came on did brilliant jobs, brilliant managers, staff, etc., etc. And I was there and I watched it and it was it was bordering on ridiculously easy at, at certain times. They were that good. Wow, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, last couple for you. Uh, looking at, I mean, reading about it, um, the Leeds experience and obviously mm. a, a 
question I want to ask you about the game almost changing the day and managing upward and anxiety and stress on a manager. Is that is that something that is that you've seen change over the last five, ten years in football? I think what I've seen change is managers aren't managers anymore, they're coaches. So you've got head coaches and you've got people picking players um, and you've got the, the head coach just doing the training sessions, which I think is difficult because if you're just given players, I think that can be a problem. I think the dialogue between the people that you're getting the players from and the head coach needs to be really, really good. Um and I see a lot of falling out between head coaches and directors of football. And I think, well, that ain't going to work. You need to be on the same wavelength and get together, you know, create an environment where everybody's together. Put your ego to bed and do whatever you've got to do uh, and create something. And uh, that's what I'd like to see at football clubs. But you can see the falling out between the directors of football and head coaches. It happens constantly and it's... It's not conducive to a good environment. If you look at Everton's um, Manchester City structure, well, you've got your director of football, you've got your head coach, you've got your owners. Now, okay, I know they've got amazing players, but their improvement's been another level, absolute another level. I mean, I think they're about £56 million in the black this year, and they've got the best centre forward in the world. And their recruitment people are just good guys, really good guys. Normal people go about and do their business. Fantastic guys. Liverpool the same. Good guys, good people there. And they're having a little bit of a sticky t- sticky run, but they've got it right at Liverpool, in my opinion. Obviously, this year's been difficult, and but that'll come again. Last one for you. When when you're looking then at the, you know, again, environment's changing and people putting better, strong, more awareness anyway. I don't know about better, but definitely more awareness about mental health. Two questions for you. One are we at a stage now where clubs need to be looking at the mental health of the, the manager, the head coach? Um, well, I think, I, I think there's a duty of care. Why wouldn't you? Um, but how does that look? What, what does that look like? So if you're the manager of the football club, there's, you know, for me, looking back at that now, you know, I, I would like to have thought, well, actually, you know, I could have come in and said to someone, I'm struggling today. But I never did. Not at all. I've done 450-odd games. I never said I'm struggling at any point to anybody. And I think that comes from within to actually, you know, someone saying to you, it's all right to say you're not okay on any given day. That's all right. I mean, as a manager, you're not allowed to do that. But you are, really. And actually, that's a strength to say that. I think that's a strength. Yes, the answer to that question is maybe get one or two older heads in there someone who's been around who can actually talk to the manager. Mentoring is a good thing, I think, as far as, and I'm trying to do a little bit of that now as we as we speak. Yeah, and I think the other staff as well, because some of the staff are working ridiculous hours, uh, 18 hours a day, and, you know, you've got to be at the training ground all the time. For me, those guys should be at home sometimes a bit more with their families, the opposite of what you would think, because you can't do it. You can't keep doing it. Yeah, you, I think you've answered my second one, which was going to be where they say it's a head coach in a college or a high school or a non-league team and you don't have that infrastructure and, and the coach realises in their head that they're listening to this or they're they're reading your post and they're thinking, I'm there or I'm close to getting there, I feel that. And mm. what's your advice to them to work through or, or what's the first step? 
that's why I'm doing this presentation, you know. It's like I'm putting it out there. And I'm trying to earn a living now doing my presentation. And I get paid to do my presentation. And the reason I get paid to do it is because if it's not, if there's no value in it and people aren't paying for it, there's no value. Um, and I think that's important. It's not so much about the money. It's the fact that there has to be some kind of value in it. And I think I've got value, my experience. And I could talk about all of these things. And I'm happy. And I just, look, you know, it's all right to be not okay. And you need, we need to be talking to each other. And that's why I love doing it. I actually love doing it and just sitting there. And at the end of it, we have some question and answer stuff. And actually to get a load of football people in the room and start talking and opening up. It's the best thing ever. It is the best thing ever. Because football people don't open up. They don't do it. I don't care if it's 1970 or if it's 2022. Generally, they don't. So is that is that a something that you're you're taking in person or is that something that you're open to doing for a club as well? No problem. For me, and I and and say in my present, I talk about what do I talk about? Winning. I talk about losing, losing big, winning big. What it's like. I talk about addiction. I talk about values. Um, I talk about leadership. I talk about resilience. But say, for example, we talk about resilience. Everyone uses that as a bad word. Oh, we've got to be resilient, resilient. I was resilient, but I was miserable. What's the point of being resilient and miserable? So try and find resilience and mental well-being. They come together. So, you know, you can't have any mental well-being without discipline. You have to do certain things, you know, whatever you've got to do, looking after yourself and all of these sort of things that, you, that I talk about. And I've got no problem talking about them anymore. I've got no problem talking about it anymore. And, and I've lived it. So I'm not right or wrong. It's just my experience. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a counsellor. I'm not a hypnotherapist. But I talk about my experience. That's all I can do. I can't do anything else. And, uh, and, it's, and, it, and, it, and it's the same in, in industries, you know, in offices. Create the right environment. Get the right people in. What? Why have a nice time at work? Because you spend so much time at work. What's the point of gossiping and moaning? Have the best time you can when you're in work. It's really important. And sometimes let the bloke who's next to you say to him, get home, go and see your wife. Anyway, I'm off on a tangent now. <laughs> no, no, it's brilliant. I mean, I think, as I said this at the start, a lot of coaches will resonate with it because, and I've seen it over the last even three or four years, the... The investment in the game is skyrocketing and it's great and opportunities. But with that, people want to return on that investment and it's pressure and it's, you know, pressure and anxiety and expectations and, and even self-image that you talked about. Like these are these are some serious obstacles to overcome on a weekly basis by yourself. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the problem is, yeah, I understand they want to return. By putting more pressure on the person who's going to give them the return, it's going to make it worse. Mm -hmm. So supporting the person that's there is really, really important. And that's what, that doesn't happen. So what happens after a couple of defeats? You need to win on Saturday. You need to get a result. If you don't get a result, you're in trouble. Do you think the manager's going to try harder because someone says that to him? It's just complete nonsense. It doesn't make any sense to me. Brian, I can't thank you enough. Um, I know there's going to be a lot of coaches wanting to reach out to you here uh, that have listened. I'm guessing LinkedIn's a good way to do it. Yeah, I'll be on the plane. Don't worry about that. Look forward to it. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much. Take care of yourself.
Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.